Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. If you don't mind, I'm going to jump right into the word today. Glad you're here today on this rainy, thundering, and lightning of a day. But come on, it was nice this weekend, praise God. But we're so glad you're here in the house of the Lord. Our first service was packed out. Come on, this service is full as well. Online, you're with us. You know, we love you guys who are online with us today. We're so glad you're here. And come on, we're going to get right into the book of Revelation today. We started our new series last week called Prevail. Amen? Ten weeks, maybe even longer, in the book of Revelation who knows? There's no, I've got, I feel like the Holy Spirit's like, Ryan, who told you to do this for 10 weeks? This book's got way too much for 10 weeks, so we'll see. But we will be doing uh, another series in the fall, uh, the, 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 uh, in, in Revelations, actually, uh, because I, I've realized that the, this first chapter that we're going to look at today, and then next week we're going to look at chapter 4 and chapter 5, are probably the most important chapters in the book of Revelation. If you and I do not have a firm grasp and understanding of the foundation for the book of uh, chapter, Revelation chapter 1, 4, and 5, we will miss the entire point of the entire book of Revelation. As we learn this week about Jesus and next week, we're going to look at heaven. We're going to look at God as he is right now. We're going to look at a powerful idea of the scrolls and all these different things next week. But this week, we're going to focus on something that is so vitally important for your life and my life. And as I prayed earlier, my prayer would be is that you would see Jesus as he is right now. Not the Jesus that you read about in a book or not the Jesus that you see in one of those movies or even The Chosen's a great film, but even that cannot articulate the Jesus that John is trying to help you understand today. We have not been able to comprehend the reality of Jesus as he is in the book of Revelation. Maybe some of you have experienced it and seen it, but my prayer would be today that you would have an experience with a revelation of who Jesus is right now. now, it's important you understand this, that through the book of Revelation, there are two phrases that are used all throughout the book of Revelation. The two most used phrases, uh, actually there's three, but I'll tell you the first two. And the first one is this, look, behold, see, look with your eyes, ponder with your eyes, look and see, behold. And the second most used phrase that the entire book of Revelations is this, no more fear, do not be afraid. Fear not. We see all throughout the book of Revelations, moments where Jesus would say, look and see, John. Do not be afraid. Look with your eyes, John. Don't be afraid any longer. Look and behold, have no fear. And so as we go through this book today, and this chapter today, my prayer would be is that you would recognize that this is a command from Jesus. That in order for us to have no fear, we have to be able to look and see. In order for us to have no fear in our life, we have to be able to look and see who Jesus is right now, who he really is right now. And I want you to know this today, that if you can open your spiritual ears today, the eyes of your heart, there will be a transformation of God in your life. You may be here today and you've been to church your whole life and you've done this whole thing or maybe you call yourself a Christian, but in reality, you have some missing kind of connection with God. If you can experience the resurrected living Jesus, you will experience transformation in your heart, in your mind, in your life, and it will make you a new person in Jesus' name. Come on, are you here today? You're okay to talk to me. 
Come on, Lindsay. I know you want to shout me down, brother. You just tell me, okay? I know you later you're going to shout me down. I want you to shout me down now. Come on, let me hear you say amen. amen. Come on, we say amen to the preached word of God. Amen? amen? When something speaks to your heart, that's good. I like that. Amen? amen? Come on, we're not a quiet church. I know Canadians are quiet, but I'm American. I want to encourage you to shout me down. Don't heckle me, but just shout me down. Come on, we're going to get right into it. And the book of Revelations is uh, apocalyptic literature. And apocalyptic literature, uh, the point of apocalyptic literature, and Joel, I'm having a little problem with our network here, so you're going to have to help me, brother. The book of Revelations, this apocalyptic literature, the point of it is to help engage your imagination. The point of the descriptions that John is going to show us all throughout this book is that it is trying to help us see beyond our natural eyes, what our natural eyes see. John is going to use vivid imagery, and the purpose is to help us understand that the world of revelations that you and I are going to experience over the next several months, this world of revelations is beyond what we see with our natural eyes, but in order for us to understand it, we have to move beyond our intellect and allow our emotions to engage through our imagination. And the reason is, is because the things that John sees that God shows him are so beyond his imagination, he does whatever he can to try to describe it with colorful, vivid imagery so that you and I can grasp it. He wants us to go beyond our intellect, beyond the natural understanding, and we have to understand something that these experiences were not in John's imagination. John actually experienced these moments. John actually heard a voice behind him. John actually turned to see this, like he says, someone like the Son of Man. It actually happened. These, he had actually had an encounter with God, but the local church that he's writing to did not, and so he's using imaginative, creative words to induce an emotional, imaginary experience so that you and I can be brought into somewhat of what John experienced when he had this encounter on the island of Patmos. You guys are going to have to help me back there, okay? Thank you very much. And so John is seeing some crazy wild images here. And you'll notice throughout the book, he says things like, uh, it seemed like, or uh, it, it, it appeared like it was, or it was like this, or it seemed like that. You, you know, if you look at through Revelation, John is always trying to stretch his intellect or stretch his understanding and his imagination to try to help you understand exactly what he was saying. In Revelations uh, chapter 1 is what we're going to read today, verses 10 uh, 10 to 18, and it starts to this. It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the Spirit. And suddenly, I heard a voice behind me, like a, like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands, and standing in the, middle, in the middle of the lampstands was someone who appeared like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest, and his head and his hair were like white wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His, his feet, oh, I think I figured it out, guys, thank you. 
His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. And he held seven stars in his right hand, and the sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. Notice, he said, he said don't be afraid. I am the first, and I am the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and the grave. We see here in this verse in Revelation 1, 10 and 12, it's, it's John, the Baptist, John the Beloved. He's best friends with Jesus. He, had a, he was experiencing an incredible moment with God as he sat upon a rock on the island of Patmos. Remember last week we talked about how uh, Domitian, Emperor Domitian, was requiring all the people of the Roman Empire to go to the temple of Domitian and put a little bit of incense on the, on the altar as a way to show worship to Caesar first before they worship their God. And so all of these people were beginning to go to the, to the, 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 the altar of Domitian and cast this incense. But John made a conscious decision. I will not worship Domitian. I will worship the Lord, Jesus Christ, Yahweh. And so they threw him and banished him to the island of Patmos, where it was a rock quarry 10 miles off, of, uh, off the coast of modern-day Turkey. And he would be there, and he would pound rocks until he was old, old and dead, 85 years old. This beloved pastor who was there when Jesus was crucified, he was one of the closest friends of Jesus Christ. He was the last living disciple of the 12 disciples. He was there on this island, sitting on this rock. He cared for these churches. He understood that all these churches were facing mistreatment and murder and persecution and businesses were being stolen from them and people were being murdered and people were being mistreated. And here is this beloved, beautiful, 85-year-old pastor who walked the streets with Jesus in his 20s. He's feeling the weight of the reality of what's happening in the world today. And he begins to worship the Lord just like we did this morning. Morning. He just began to worship the Lord. He was in the spirit realm. He began to pray and worship to God. And all of a sudden, John had an absolute incredible experience with God. He was spending time with Jesus. And how did Jesus respond to the weight that John carried for the churches? How did, John, how did Jesus respond to John's heaviness and weight for all that was going on? Jesus revealed himself as he is. He pulled back the curtain. He unveiled the reality of what's really going on behind the scenes. He wanted John to know and wanted the churches to know that despite the fact that you're being mistreated and you're being persecuted and you're losing your businesses and your jobs and things are not going great, that Jesus is alive and real today and you've not seen him like this. You need to know today that you look and see and fear no more. And he had a revelation with Jesus where Jesus pulled back the curtain so that John could see a revelation that he had never seen before. And remember that John is having an actual experience. And so he's going to use some descriptive words, reach almost, to try to find the words just to articulate for our brains to try to grasp the reality of what he just experienced. It says in Revelations 12, it says, he turned to see who was speaking to him. He says, I saw seven Gold lampstands, which we learn later, are the seven churches of Asia. And look at this. It says, and standing in the middle of the lampstands. I need you to know that Jesus is in the middle of his churches. <laughs> He's right in the middle, actively working. He's not left us. He's not gone. He's not disconnected. He's right in the middle. 
and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. Someone like. I mean, like John saying, almost like I had, I had seen, I've seen him before. This is the, the, the Son of Man, the, the man who I walked with 60 years ago on the earth. This is the guy who I walked with, and, and when we sat around the table, I laid my head on his chest. This is the guy who raised Lazarus and healed the sick and raised the dead and was crucified and was buried and rose the other day. It's that Jesus. It's that son of man, but he's different, something different. This is not the same Jesus that I experienced that walked on the earth or that even rose from the dead. This is something different. This is Jesus right now as he is right now in heaven. This is the Jesus that you and I are worshiping to and exalting. He is like this right now. We are about to hear and understand the Jesus that is in existence right now who rules over the heavens and the earth, who rules over the planet and kingdoms and powers. He wants to unveil our eyes to see him as he is right now. And he's having this experience in John in this moment is looking at him saying something is different and he uses the phrase Son of man. And this son of man in the Hebraic terms is actually just the word human. And he took language from the book of Daniel in Daniel chapter 7. Look what Daniel says about a vision he had as my vision continued that night. I saw someone like a son of man. Hebrew words, a human being coming with the clouds of heaven. Someone like a human. And he approached the ancient one. And was led into the ancient one's presence. And he was given authority and honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world. So the people of every race, amen, nation, amen, language, amen, would obey him. His rule is eternal and it will never end. And his kingdom will never, ever be destroyed. John is standing in front of the son of man that is the central figure throughout all history. He's looking at this man. He recognizes that this is the man who was given all authority and all honor and all sovereignty by the ancient one, that this is the son of man, the preexistent one, the eternal one, the heavenly being who had come from heaven to earth to die on the cross for our sins and rose on the third day. He's standing face to face with someone that seemed like the son of man. And John wanted the church to understand, guys, I want you to catch what I saw. I want you to experience church of Jesus Christ. You are afraid and you're experiencing mistreatment and persecution and difficulty in this day and age and the temptation is to allow fear to enter our hearts and to stop having our complete allegiance to Christ but I'm here to tell you today that if you can just John says if you can just see what I saw it'll transform your life and John begins to describe this son of man and he pulls images from exodus and the prophet daniel and ezekiel and roman propaganda and astrology and from the the greek uh, uh fables and different wives tales and takes all of these different imagery and it begins to bring it together so that not only john but the early church would understand jesus as he is right now it's important you recognize this because this is the type of understand this understanding you're about to have is something that should transform you. Because when you look and see Jesus as he is right now, there's no fear. There's no fear of death. There's no fear of sickness. There's no fear of the future. There's no fear of government. There's no fear of anything. Zero. No fear. And when we see Jesus as he is right now, 
Fear is not in our vocabulary. Fear does not exist in our world. We live by faith, not by sight. Look how he describes him. He said he's wearing a long robe reaching to his feet. We have two pieces of imagery here that that, that, uh, John used. Firstly, the idea of a priestly robe worn by Moses' brother Aaron. And Aaron would wear this long robe into the Holy of Holies to do his priestly duties. When you, when you look at the word priest in the Latin, uh, Daryl Johnson points this out, that the, the, the Latin word for priest is the word pontifex, and that word actually means bridge builder. So we see here that the first image that he describes is that, I love this, the very first thing he says about this son of man is that he's a bridge builder. That he sees the divine side and he sees the human side because this man named Jesus actually was 100% man and 100% God. And he was the one that bridged the gap between the wrath of God that was supposed to be poured out upon all mankind. But God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son into the world that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have salvation and eternal life. The bridge builder, the priest, the high priest, he is our great mediator. But not only that, this priest represents kingship. The king would wear a long robe recognizing that our Jesus, the one that he stood in front of, was the king throughout history. He is the one with all authority and all power and all dominion over every nation that will ever reign, ever to come in our world today. Jesus Christ is the king priest who stands before John to say, I came to build a bridge for you. So when you look at our world and you wonder, has my sin been taken away? Or man, is God in control? Look and see that he is the king, priest, Jesus, wearing a robe to his feet. And be not afraid. Look what he says next in this verse. A long robe with a gold sash around his chest. When a worker would wear a a sash around their waist, it would mean that they are preparing to start working. When a worker wears his sash around his chest, it is him standing and resting from the accomplished work that he just did. Here we see that this represents the idea that the gold sash around his chest is Jesus saying to John, the work has been done. It is finished. I am not here looking for victory. I won't have victory. I've already accomplished the victory. This should bring you some encouragement today than knowing that what God's doing in your life and what God's been working in your heart. You might say, God, when are you going to finish it? He says, hey, I've already finished it. I've already conquered death. I've already conquered sin. I've already conquered shame. I've already conquered anxiety. I've already conquered depression. I've already conquered every area of your life by dying on the cross. It's been finished. I've taken the keys of hell and death. I am victorious. And he wears that gold sash around his chest. I'm finished, which means this. You and I don't function in life from a place of needing victory. We function from a place of having victory. Change your mindset. We have the gold sash across our chest, recognizing don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He has finished the work. He has defeated death. He's already experienced victory. Don't have fear. Come on, his head and his hair were white like wool and as white as snow. Here, uh, John uses uh, Daniel again in uh, the prophetic language in chapter 7, verse 9. As I looked, look at this. Thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, 
and the hair of his head was white like wool. So John's saying, okay, listen, I need you to understand that his hair was like, was like wool, and it was white. It was like white as snow. I guess the only way for, for you to understand this would be that, remember Daniel, we, we study the book of Daniel. Remember when they talked about the Ancient of Days sitting on his throne and his hair was, yeah, so that would mean that I stood before the Ancient of Days. <laughs> I stood before the preexistent one that has no time. I stood before the very one. He's the Jesus that we see now was there before eternity, there before time. He's existed always and forever has been. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the ancient one. He doesn't even have a definition. This is the best I can do. His, high, his hair was white as wool. He's ancient of days. And I look before his eyes right now, the resurrected Jesus Christ. He's like God. He is God. And he was there at the beginning, and he'll be there at the end. And he was there at the beginning before time. And he's involved in every single intricate detail of your life. He is the ancient of days. The rise of fall of nations and world-dominating empires and ideologies ruining countries and the rise and fall of false religions. He was there before it. He was there when it rose up. He was there when it fell down. He will be the ancient of days throughout all of time. So don't be afraid. Look and see that he remains forever and your future is in his hands. And you might not know what's going to happen next, but the Ancient of Days sure does. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He says next that his eyes were flames of fire. It says that, his, that the, the, the idea of this throughout Scripture is that he's an all-consuming fire. That he's, that Jesus is pure. The Son of Man is, is pure, but not just pure, He's purifying you. That when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't just look at you. He looks through you. He sees past your facade and your mask. He sees your sin. He sees your struggle. He sees your fear. He sees your doubt. He sees the pain, the loss of a loved one or the anger that you've had from a church or a situation with a relationship. He sees every nuance and every nook and every cranny. And when the, when the fire comes, at first it burns the way, the chaff, but ultimately it purifies, and cleans, and penetrates. And when we look in the eyes of Jesus, we look at him as he is, but the best part, take heart. See Jesus as he is. Look into his eyes. Look into the flames in his eyes and feel the reality of the weight of that. It should bring liberation to you knowing that he is the only one that you can be all of yourself with because he already sees you as you are. You think I got to pretend and come in and I no. He sees beyond the facade. Doesn't that liberate you to say, I'm afraid to look in his eyes for what he will see. And the word of God to you is, I already see it, so just look me in the eyes. Let it burn you. Let it burn away that chaff. Let it purify you. Let it transform you. Mark Buchanan said this, and I repeat it again. Purity of heart is this, to look Jesus in the eyes. Meaning that Jesus, when I look you in the eyes, I'm going to allow you to wash away all the things in my life. But I know that when I allow you to do that, you bring par partnership with me and comfort and help and partnership in my life. That's why when you're in the presence of God, the first thing you feel, if you have an area of your life that's not right with the Lord, you begin to feel guilt or fear. Why? Because his eyes are a consuming fire. But if you allow that to change, 
change from guilt to his blessing in your life and his peace in your life. Listen, that guilt is a first response to being in the presence of a holy God. But he doesn't come to condemn you or convict you or hold it against you. He sent his son to die for you and wash away all shame and guilt. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when you're in the presence of the Lord and you start to feel a little bit guilty, listen, that guilt will be washed away if you keep looking him in the eyes because the blood of Jesus washes away all shame and guilt in our lives. We spend all of our life looking down at our toes when Jesus says, just look me in the eyes. I already know who you are. I already know what's going on in your world. And you feel ashamed about it? Don't worry. Turn your life to me. Stare at me in the eyes. Here's John saying to the church, don't be afraid. I know it's scary, but it's liberating because you can be yourself. Even if it's not great, he sees all the junk that's ruining your life and he wants to burn it away in his presence. Look and see, no longer be afraid to be in his presence. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. We, we find two imageries from the book of Daniel. Again, the first one is we recognize when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow down to the 90-foot-tall statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. And so they threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. And as you remember, we sing the song, there was another in the fire. And that was the theophany, the physical form of Christ in the fire points out that in your fire, Jesus is there with you. No matter how hot it gets, no matter how much you stand up for the Lord and persecution comes, he's there, he's refined in the furnace with you. But it also speaks to a prophetic dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. He had a dream of the kingdoms of the world and how the kingdoms of the world were like a statue. And this massive statue in the feet of the statue was a mixture of clay and iron. And clay and, clay and iron, this statue could not hold the kingdoms of the world. It could not hold the kingdoms and the pressure and the weight of the realities of what were going on in the world. But our God has feet of polished bronze, meaning this. He's been tested. He's been proven. He's been steady. He's been faithful for all the ages of time. He's always been proven to be faithful that when our government and our kingdoms and our politics go crazy, up and down they go, our God and the kingdom of God will remain steady and firm through it all. That our God has feet polished with bronze. He's been tested. He's been proven. He's never changed once. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will always be the same. So look and see and fear not because our God is steady and our God is firm. And the Son of Man has been tested. He remains strong. His voice was like a voice of rushing waters or thundered like a mighty ocean waves. And just imagine for a moment that, Ezekiel, that Elijah in the book of First Kings was chased away by Ahab and Jezebel, and he was afraid for his life. After having an amazing, mighty move of God, he ran, and he was actually suicidal and wanted to take his own life. And the angel of the Lord came and encouraged him, and he ran to the mountain of God. And he got to the mountain of God, and there was, there was wind, and there was an earthquake, and there was fire. And it says God's voice wasn't in it. But then God's voice came with a still, small voice. And I wonder if it sounded like a mighty rushing mighty rushing waters, rather, sorry. The mighty rushing waters are powerful and awe-inspiring and strong, but it's also peaceful, calming. It fills us with rest. We see that mighty rushing water, the power and the force of that. See, John took this imagery from Ezekiel. 
And he used this imagery from Ezekiel in, in verse 40, chapter 43, 1 and 2. The man brought me to a, a gate facing east, and I saw the glory of God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters. I'm not sure how to describe how his voice sounds, but it, I just know it sounds like Ezekiel described the Son of Man. It was like a roar rushing of water. It brings power, and it brings authority, and it brings strength, but it also brings peace. His hand held the seven stars, seven stars in, in the early church, in the early, this early environment that the church would hear this. They understood the context of this, that everything in their world was ran through astrology and there were the seven classical planets. And these seven classical planets, being Sun, Moon, Venus, Jupiter, Mars, Mercury, and Saturn, ran their entire life. They, whenever they needed to have an answer, they would go and they would, they would search for answers in the astrology tables to try to understand what was happening next in the days of the week and what was going to happen in the future. They would look to the, these planets to, 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 to give direction for their life. And it would guide their life. It would lead them. Not only that, but the Roman emperors recognized that they believed that they had godlike powers. And so the Roman Empire's capital and manipulated the people by putting all these planets around on their throne and in their inner chamber so that when people walked into the presence of a Roman emperor, the statement that was being made is that I am stronger than these planets, that I am like a god. And in Greek mythology, they had Hecate, who had the picture of Hecate. He's a, a woman holding the seven stars, classical planets, and above her says the beginning and the end. And we need to understand something today. Hecate does not hold the seven stars in their right hand. Come on, the Roman Roman emperors don't hold the seven stars in the right hand. Come on, King Jesus holds the seven stars in his right hand. He holds the entire universe in his hand. Are you hearing me this morning? Our God, Jesus Christ, as he is right now, holds the seven stars in his hands. He holds the universe in his hands. If he has the ability to hold the universe in his hands, yet care about a young leper in the Gospels, don't you think He's concerned about the details of your life. Be not afraid, our God is in charge. Look and see as he is, as he is now holding the seven stars in his right hand, holding the planets and the cosmos in his hand to show you, church, that you not, need not be afraid of what's to come. You need not to be afraid of what's happening in your life or what details are going to get figured out. If he's in charge of the cosmos of the universe, how much more is he charged and involved in your intricate details of your life? It says that there was a sharp and edged sword that came from his mouth. And if you've read the Bible, you will immediately understand that John wrote this in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And everything that was created came through that Word. Or in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, Paul writes that the Word of the Lord is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. Now, this sword that came from his mouth was not a long spear. It was a short sword, which means this, that when God comes, when Jesus comes, came and spoke his word. He speaks truth. He speaks the Logos written word of God, and it is truth. And he doesn't say it from far away. He comes up really close to you because he wants the word to be right involved in the areas of your life. And he speaks this truth to you with all the mumbo-jumbo ideologies and mindsets that are coming across our world today. The Logos word of God proceeds from the living Jesus Christ right now. And he speaks 
speaks truth to you. He speaks truth in your mind. When the enemy tries to sabotage you and get you thinking that you're not this and you're not that, you're not a child of God, you're not forgiven, and he comes like the gentle dove that he is. He comes and the Holy Spirit speaks through him and he lets his word come to you and reminds you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you can overcome through Christ, that you are more than a conqueror. The truth of God's word comes into alignment and says, no, do not embrace the ideologies of the philosophies that are coming across and permeating the church of Jesus Christ. No, no, no. Listen to the double-edged sword that comes from the mouth of Jesus. John recognized, oh my gosh, he is the living Logos word of God. It's coming out of his mouth. We see here that his face was shining like the sun in all its brilliance. John had to think of a way to try to describe what it was like to look in the face of God. All I can think of is the sun. The sun, most powerful body in in our universe. Everything revolves around this idea of the sun. To describe the sun in the Old Testament, it was a beautiful imagery. It was a constant prayer. Let your face shine upon us. When Moses asked God in Exodus 20 to reveal his glory to him, Jesus, God's response to him was this. Listen, no one can see my face and live. He attaches his glory with his face. Here he's saying, the best I can describe it is if you look into the sun, what happens? You go blind. If you look into the sun, it's so bright and it's so strong, and yet it has powerful heat, and yet it makes the world go round, and yet it causes life, and yet it pours out, its, it pours out itself upon us, and yet it's so powerful, yet it's so gentle. We read about this idea of the sun, this, and the idea when Jacob, in Genesis chapter 32, Jacob and Esau had had a falling out And Esau was mad at Jacob and wanted to kill him. Years later, Jacob had a moment with God. And he went face to face with Jacob. And he laid uh, uh, with Esau. And he laid at the feet of Esau. And and Esau picked him up because he had forgiven him. And he grabbed him and he embraced him. And Jacob pulls back from Esau. After years of having animosity and pain, after years of unforgiveness, Jacob steps back from Esau and looks him in the eyes and makes this statement. He says, looking at your face is like looking at the face He's looking at the face of forgiveness. So not only does this sun, this bright, brilliant face of God, the holiness and the largeness and the vastness of God, for us to even put our eyes upon the living Savior, yet it comes and the sun permeates our life. And when we look at his face, we see the face of forgiveness. See, John had this experience and. He wanted us to understand what was going on. And then the verse says this. John says, when I saw him, guys, I fell at his feet as if I was dead. Standing in front of the ancient one. His face shining like the sun. His eyes burning with fire. I fell down dead before him. It says in this scripture something so beautiful. that He laid his right hand on me same hand that created the universe, the same hand that helped little children, that healed lepers, that raised the sick, that healed people's lives, the same hand that held the seven stars, placed his right hand on me, and look at what he said to John, don't be afraid. The first thing that the eternal Jesus Christ said to John 
was don't have fear. You've seen me as I am. Be not afraid. Now, you might sense a theme over the last few weeks with this fear thing, and this is why. Because the tool of the evil one in our world today is fear. The enemy has a hold over our world today, and it's called fear. It is the chief weapon of the evil one. Fear causes us to do things, to not do things we know we should. And fear sometimes causes us to do things we know we shouldn't because we're afraid. Fear. Fear is firmly rooted in one reality, the fear of death. Fear of criticism, fear of rejection, fear of financial loss, fear of pain, fear of sickness. All of these are rooted in one reality, the fear of death. Go down to the root of every single fear you have, and the fear is this, death. See, what the devil has over every person on this planet is the idea that he has the power over death. When in reality, we learn today that we, he does not have power over death. Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I die, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death. Jesus on the cross took all upon him the evil and the pain and all the things that the enemy intended for you, he took that upon the cross. He went down and he stole the keys of death and the grave. And now you and I no longer have to be afraid because we can stand before the resurrected Jesus Christ knowing that he died, but he rose again. We don't have to be afraid any longer. We don't have to be afraid of sickness. We don't have to be afraid of death. We don't have to be afraid of the government. We don't have to be afraid of our future. You don't have to be afraid of anything at all. Why? Because we have had an experience of the pre existence resurrected Lamb of God. You have to capture this. Because as a follower of Jesus, there is no other option. There is no fear if you've had an experience with the resurrected Jesus Christ. John wants to start this journey by saying this. I'm standing in the middle of the church, and I'm reminding you today that no matter what you face in your life, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I die, but look, I rose from the dead. And I hold the keys of fear and death and gra in the grave. I hold it. I want you to stand your feet this morning. Next week, we're going to jump into Revelations chapter 4 and 5. And we're going to look at what heaven looks like and who God is, the seven scrolls. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. Lord, I just pray for those in the room, those online, Father, who are dealing with fear. devil, I know you're ticked today because we exposed your plan. Keep people from seeing Jesus as he is and they'll be afraid. So today, Lord, we open up the veil. We turn, pull back the curtain and we say, Jesus, this is who you are. You're ageless. You're the high priest. You're the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And you have all the nations of the world in your hands. And Lord, you care about our lives. And Lord, we just cast out all fear. Perfect love cast out fear. For those watching today, God, who are far from you, those who do not have a relationship with you today, God, I pray they would start one. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, come on, you'll be saved. Which means you can have an experience and an abundant life with Christ in this life, and you will live in eternity with Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. Amen. So, Lord, we pray today, God, as we go, that we would be a people of God who prays, Lord, reveal yourself to me, Jesus.
times. Would you reveal yourself to them in the car, around the dinner table, as they go on vacation, as they're away this summer? God, would you reveal yourself like never before that they might experience you like you want them to, to experience you, Father? We love you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Come on online. We're going to watch our kids' video, so you can go right and do that in person. Please grab your kids before you hang out. Pastor Jesse will kill me if you don't, so please do. Come on, you want prayer today? We have a prayer team, uh, these folks, as well as my wife and I and a few others. We just want to pray with you. If you have any need in your life, if you need prayer, please come down. If you gave your life to Jesus, if you'd like to know more about our church or online, you need prayer, email us at info at lovestudychurch.ca and we'll get right back to you. Have an amazing week this week, guys. We'll see you next Sunday and come down and get prayer if you need it. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.